0: Start a chat, tell them that Casey sent you. If you have Salesforce Pardot, when you schedule and then do a demo, they will send you a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Not bad, right? Well, it's only while supplies last, so hop on this thing today. And that's it for sponsors. Let's get to the show. Oh yeah, we're live and this is it. This is the one you've been waiting for, you've been asking for, and... Man, today's guest, I am so excited to tell you all about her. But for many of you, you you don't even need an introduction. You probably saw the name and were like, what? I got to check that one out. So she is the queen of Pardot. She is the almighty global ruler of Pardot and beyond because she's actually 12X certified in Salesforce. Like, what is that? So smart. So lucky to have her on here. She's a Salesforce MVP Founder and blogger of the Spot for Pardot and founder and CEO of Circanté, Andrea Terrell, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. That was quite the intro. I sure yeah, well, be my, my LinkedIn bio or something.
0: Yeah, well, some people put it on you know their ringtones, you know, so you can wake up every morning to me saying how awesome <laughs> you are. <laughs> well, well hey, this is our this is our marketing leadership series. This is like two meteors combining to make a planet. Let's like do this thing. Um, We're talking all about marketing, trends. Can't help but talk about Pardot and tech at the same time. So I want to pass you this. This is virtual Thor's hammer because I have the real one, but it's back in the office. (laughs) Okay, so here, take that. That's Thor's hammer. You got it? Okay. Yep, got it. Cool. So take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of myth, bogus strategy, misconception, and just set the record straight once and for all.
1: So the myth that I would start with, um, because I'm hearing a lot of it with all this COVID craziness and things that are going on with the economy, is um, that marketing is a cost center and that you should pause marketing when the economy gets tough uh, to control expenses. Um, I think that's the last thing that people should do. Um, If you're looking to find new ways to drive growth, uh, get sales back where they need to be, uh, cutting your marketing at a time like this is not a great plan. I mean, maybe reprioritizing and kind of shifting budget around to um, things that are the fastest path to revenue, but um, I hate seeing businesses just hit the pause button on all of their marketing efforts when um, times are tough because that's really, that really is the potential for them to turn things around and save their business.
0: Yeah, it can be kind of like shooting yourself in the foot, right? It's like, hey, uh-oh, we're not selling enough, like things are happening. It's like, cool, let's stop the things that help us sell more. <laughs>
1: yeah. What, what? Yeah, when the, fr- the first job that I, so I, gra- I graduated from college during one of the, the last economic downturns oh. um, and went to go work for an insurance brokerage um, and I was their, their only marketing person um, and the CEO got a ton of flack for hiring me for investing in content marketing for mm. doing, spending all this time thinking about marketing when their customers and the rest of the economy was kind of going on going on lockdown um, but he looked like a genius coming out of the coming out of the other end of the recession because we had an amazing marketing program and none of our competitors did. Um, so we're really well positioned to take over a good chunk of the market.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. You, you may, if you make this decision, you may look like to your peers, like, like a complete idiot. And it sounds like this guy was just like laughed off the the CEO stage a little bit from all of his peers, but they're not laughing now to your point when, you know, the cloud's cleared and you guys have a strong program. You've got the content, you've got everything in place to really capitalize when people are ready to buy again. Yep. hundred why, percent. Why do you think, why is it the first to get shot in tough times marketing? Cause I think talking about this and figuring it out, we can, we can figure out how to better position ourselves as marketers. So like what were we doing wrong in the past that, that put a target on our back or still is probably.
1: Yeah. I think when, um, when, marketer, when marketing is viewed as like the arts and crafts department and <laughs> all about like graphic design and like, um, like communication and maybe framed a little softer in people's minds, um, I think it's easier to be written off as superfluous and something that um, you can afford to cut the expense for. Um, I think when marketers are, like a lot of part of admins are great at this, but when marketers Um, are showing their impact on revenue can point to a report in a dashboard and say, this is how much pipeline I'm driving. This is exactly how marketing touch points are contributing to sales. Mm -hmm. Uh, That puts you in a really strong position.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. There's a couple things there. Um, Before we get on that that pipeline impact, you know, when you mentioned the arts and crafts department, first of all, hilarious, but then you mentioned communications. And I know I even got a degree in English and communications, right? It's such a soft word. Yeah, we all need to communicate, and, you know, honestly, communication is like key for all of life. But I think in the business world, just saying like, oh, this is the team that communicates to people. It's like, um, okay, how, how is that an essential worker for our struggling company? Well, I think words matter in this case, right? So wh- you would change it to something other than communications or just be aware that if you, if your position is even like a communication specialist, it, that doesn't, even the title doesn't have a tie into what you might actually be doing, which is driving revenue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think like focusing on the outcomes would be like the overall theme because I I mean, even internal like comms and corporate comms and things like that, those are all, they are pretty essential functions. Like how you're talking to your employees, how you're talking to your customers, how you're talking to the press. Um, But for, yeah, for whatever reason, I feel like those words get a bad rap, like communication or like customer relations or things like that. Um, but focusing on the outcomes and, like, what difference are you making, um, I think, can maybe help.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. Um, and it's funny, because, like, you're, I'm making fun of communications, but but we all kind of the underlying thing is, you know, like, during a troubling time, communicating to your, your team, your customers, to partners, like, that's one of the most important things you can do. And I think a lot of people get it wrong, too. Um, it is exhibited by maybe people paused on marketing and then send out those silly emails that like abuse COVID as a keyword and just like eye rolling yeah. when you receive another email from a brand you've never heard from in the last 20 years who cares about you apparently.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, I also think with all this, um, uncertainty and COVID things that are going on. Yeah. It's also a, an awesome opportunity for marketers to make a play at expanding their impact within a company. So um, like instead of just using Pardot for like prospect communications, uh, like looking at other ways you can add value and almost looking at marketing automation as like the operating system for your communication. Um, So like getting involved in like talking to employees about digital transformation and things that are changing and getting involved in like following up with customer service requests and um building automation to support those teams that um that may really benefit from automation right
0: now yeah so true expanding the impact like times are uncertain so you can either kind of cower in fear and in confusion or try to show some leadership and start just taking on things like oh you know especially if a company has you know changes and whatnot just kind of stepping up and saying you know what else can I take on and you're right I think marketing the more The more things we touch, like, yeah, like the more impact it has. And then the more, more, the more necessary you are to the whole organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you mentioned, you know, a couple of those ways, any other thoughts on what are the, like, if you could take a couple things on during this time, what would be some of the ways you would want people to step up? You you said it really well, like the other ways you can add value. How else could you add value to the, the team, to the company?
1: Um, so, I mean, this is sort of like a way you can add value in any economic climate, but um, kind of reaching out to other teams uh, and looking for um, like things that they're doing on an ongoing basis that could be enhanced with automation. So like sales, for example, um, we a lot, some of sales communication is super nuanced and they're personalizing it for the prospect and they're putting a yeah. lot of thought into um like what Keep needs your midst to be off at
0: marketing yeah
1: totally yeah um but a lot of stuff isn't like the routine follow-ups of like hey just checking in just wanted to follow up or like um programs following up with closed lost opportunities i'm also a huge fan of because in theory sales wants to be able to circle back and say um, uh, like six months after a deal is lost uh, i'm gonna give this guy a call and just check on, on how things are going with competitor or whatever but in real life, like, they move on to the next thing, but they oh, never yeah. reach out to the customer again.
0: Like, yeah, ever. Automate
1: that. Like, things that they aren't going to get to or um, are just kind of tedious, those are amazing use cases for automation.
0: Yeah, that's a or great employee, point. Go Employee ahead.
1: onboarding is another one. Okay. Like, like That's also like, like very – there's a series of steps. Um, you could probably think through those steps and build the automation to support that um, and add a ton of value there. Save somebody a, a ton of time.
0: Yeah. Like what's cool about this is we're thinking about different things that people would never want to do. It's like the last thing on their priority. Like I would rather go eat Brussels sprouts (laughs) than follow up with leads that rejected me as a salesperson. Right. Oh yeah. No, we don't, we don't like you. We like the other people. You're like, dang it. (laughs) Like seriously. And so, yeah, I'm not following up with you ever. In fact, I hope you fail. No. Right. So having an automation that has this really nice email from that Person personalized and everything, I could see that being really cool, and they, I could see them really appreciating that too. i'm um, not maybe in the moment we are like, we created this thing. They're like, yay, go marketing, whatever. But when they get a follow up email from someone being like, we made a mistake. Thank you for being so considerate. We want to sign you. Know, we want to sign up again. And you're like, what? Like, where did that come from? Thanks, marketing. More yeah. of that. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, you know, you mentioned like the pipeline too. What? In, in being able to show how much you've contributed to it. I like the idea of stepping up and then starting to measure things. What's you know, what are your recommendations? Like how do people, especially right now, you know, they're they're in they're in the shit, right? We're all in the shit together, but in marketing, you got this target. How do they start showing their contribution?
1: So I know Jen on your team is also super passionate about this topic. Yeah, yeah Jen campaign, campaign <laughs> influence reporting. If yeah. you're not using it and you're a part on Salesforce customer, start using it. Um, yeah. It's it's hands down the most impactful thing uh, I think you can do to improve your reporting. So kind of changing the frame from like only looking at lead source or having the sales rep indicate like which initiative drove a particular opportunity, yeah. it kind of un- unboxing that and instead of thinking about that in like a one to one fashion. Um, tracking every single marketing touchpoint um, that you're contributing to, so forms on your website, content downloads, events—well, not not events as much anymore—but um, virtual online events. and offline efforts. <laughs> right. Um, getting that set up is in a campaign structure, so that when an opportunity closes, you can look back and say, "Okay, hey, these are the five things that this prospect engaged with," right. um, and show that. I mean, not necessarily taking credit away from the sales rep for closing that opportunity, but showing that marketing had a hand um, in helping drive that deal forward.
0: Yeah, right. Just And it, it kind of gets the information out there. Otherwise, you know, they're just like, well, I found this lead and I closed it. And you're like, actually, <laughs> here's yeah. what the real journey looked like. They were doing this. They were doing that. They attended. I know you guys had a happy hour. Um, which I need to sign up for when it's not in European time. Uh, I, I'll be there for sure. Like, but I could see you campaign tag someone who com- comes to the happy hour and then you're like, cool, they eventually, you know, we formed a relationship and now we're helping them out. And you can look all the way back to that, you know, $0 bottle of Kettle One that you had to buy for the virtual happy <laughs> hour, right? And be like, this was cool. Building a community that works. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Tell I me about think the- it's- Go ahead.
1: I also think it's a more—it's just a much more complete picture of marketing's performance than just looking at MQLs and SQLs. Because if you're if you're just measuring like net new names added to your database, like marketing's not getting credit for the massive amount of people that they're touching and nurturing and building interest with. Um, if you're just looking at like how did this name get added to Salesforce?
0: Yeah, yeah. We were just having this conversation the other day uh, with someone because. They kind of have the ABM approach, right? Well, they have a lot of accounts that are already in there. And so adding new names is not really a thing. I mean, something happens because people change jobs and stuff. But for the most part, the accounts are all the same. And when people raise their hands, like, how do we indicate that? How do we show that they're raising their hands? Because it's not going through that standard lead process anymore. Um, for a lot of these companies, that's what they're looking at. And you've got to try to flag it and follow up on it. So I could see how this multi-touch type campaign influence would be able to show like, look, these people have been in our database for a long time, but it wasn't until they did X, Y, and Z, you know, those have contributed to them eventually signing up with us. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Any other tips for, you know, for marketing land out there when we're kind of in this tough time, you know, we have our targets on our back and it's like, okay, we've already said, you know, focus on the outcomes. We've said, you know, take on new things and then show impact on pipeline. Any other, any other recommendations or any other things you'd want to encourage marketers for?
1: Um, hmm. So I guess another one would be, um, like maybe revisit how you're thinking about the channels that are involved in your marketing program. So um, I, I feel like there's, a, there are a ton of just blanket statements floating around out there about like who should and shouldn't be doing different types of things. Like yeah. Facebook isn't, can't be used for B2B marketing.
0: God, don't um, you hate the blanket statements in, out there? Yes. Is that the worst <laughs> marketing or what? Like maybe yeah. it's good marketing. I, I don't know. Cause we're talking about it, but I, it makes me so mad when I see that.
1: Yeah. I think it's, it, it just holds people back from trying things that, um, could be really impactful. So, um, like looking at kind of what your total marketing mix is and like having a way to measure, okay, this, we're, we're on Facebook and we're using it for awareness. Um, we're using, are we using it for lead gen? Are we trying to drive people to landing pages? Yeah. Like wh- what are we trying to accomplish with this? And is it accomplishing its purpose? Um, I think that's just a good, a good frame for evaluating where you want to put your focus. Um, yeah. at any time, but also during
0: times when budgets are tight you know, the idea of revisiting your mix, smart, right? Hey, things are changing. Buyer behavior may be changing. Doesn't mean we're not buying. I know I'm buying a lot of things on Amazon lately, right? Just not at restaurants. And so buyer behavior may be changing. So revisit the mix. I like that. Um, And don't listen to blanket statements. Do you have any, do you have any other favorite blanket statements that you've seen?
1: Hmm. So Facebook for B2B, that's a one I see all the time. Um,
0: do, you, do you find success with that yourself? Do you,
1: do yeah, you know, absolutely. Okay. Um, it's, I mean, I think a lot of marketers think, okay, LinkedIn is a better fit for B2B because mm-hmm. it's professional, we're talking about business on there, but yeah, um, the lines between work and home life are so blurred. Yeah. I mean, people are, ch- are checking their Facebook during the workday. Um, no. On Instagram or on
0: TikTok, that's <laughs> forbidden. You're not allowed to do that. you Hold on, somebody's messaging me on Messenger. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, right. It's so blurred and blended. Um,
1: yeah. So people don't turn up, turn their work brain off when they're engaging on social channels. It's true. So, um, and also like doing things that are different than what your competition is doing. Like, if none of your competitors are on, on Facebook or none of your competitors are on TikTok or whatever the case may be. Um, That doesn't mean that you shouldn't. That means that there could be an opportunity there to take a look at.
0: Oh my God, Andrea, are you on TikTok? I am obsessed with TikTok. Are you obsessed
1: with it? I'm a I'm a content consumer and not a content creator. You're not gonna create it on there. Um, (laughs) it's it's definitely like it's it's probably my number one Corona hobby.
0: Really? Yeah. You know what I? I was like, okay, I need to do some professional research, so I got myself on TikTok to see what all the, all the hubbub was about, and you're right, it's fun. They're, they're short, they're quick, and the whole point is people are concentrating whatever they're doing in, like, a few seconds, so you don't have a lot of, like, blah, 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 wait around for something magic to happen. Do you have, like, a favorite topic or, or um, I don't know what you call them, channel or whatnot?
1: Um, I mostly just troll the For You page and just kind of scroll through and
0: see what's there. Oh, on your, on your um, laptop?
1: like uh no on my phone on my phone phone. um, yeah yeah but like when I first signed up for TikTok I didn't really get it because it was like okay what this is just like just like Instagram like it's like videos and it's it's, like Instagram stories maybe a little bit like Vine um but what I think that they've done that's just magical is like it, it seriously is like crack like you watch a video it hooks you in you swipe to go to the next thing like I think there are probably other learnings there that you could apply to, like, how to get people to consume content and how to get, Hmm. how to make it really easy to take the next step to do things, Hmm. um, that could be applied to other parts of marketing and sales.
0: That's a really good idea. Like, how, how could you, what could you take from TikTok and apply that into B2B marketing? Like, no nonsense, 10 seconds, bam, out of your face, and then a (laughs) backflip. Don't do MC, uh, backflip, right? Yep. (laughs) Um, yeah, interesting. You know, I found, um, have you heard of the stand-up challenge, uh, stand-up challenge? That's what it's called. Yeah. Have you you heard of it? I don't, I don't remember. Gotta check it out. I'm obsessed with it. I want to do it one day. The missus is, like, not interested. So, anyone out there that wants to, uh,
1: out right now?
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, you gotta check it out. Live
1: on the podcast. (laughs)
0: Live on the podcast. So, um, it's, it's like two people and you got a guy who's, on oh the yeah, and then the girl's like standing on him and then she hops and he gets on his knees and then she hops again, just for everyone else too. Um, she hops again and he gets on like, like kind of leaning over and she hops on his back. The whole time she's just hopping, she's staying on top of the guy who's just slowly standing up and then eventually gets on his shoulders. And then this one gal named Demi, she does this backflip off the top at the very end. And I'm just like, what? I gotta do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my favorite is when there's like a a pattern or a trend that like everybody's doing like the exact same way. Yes. And then people find a way to put like a weird spin on it, like do their backflip or do the stand-up challenge with your dog or yes. um, do it with a four logo in your hand or whatever the case may be.
0: You know, it's like, I don't know. I think this is the time to to have fun i you know not to make light of everything going on but this is the time to experiment right so i love this conversation you know what what could tiktok and p2b do together um i think it was dave gearhart was like now's the time for marketers to either be boring blah and just get wiped off with like a hand sanitizer or to be exciting and different and like this is the time so yeah have you heard of the um the dora the dora dora challenge i don't know if
1: i've heard of that one
0: it's um it's oh god who sings that um I'm always bad with names, but anyways, it's like uh, it's like reggaeton, and, and there's a finger in front of the camera, and it's like poking the person's head, and then their shoulders, and they have their hands up, and then they, they turn around. It's really funny. I showed it to my my kids, and so we got them doing it too. It was kind of funny. Um, That's awesome. Which ones do you remember? Any, any favorites come out, or are you just kind of just scrolling through the different ones?
1: Um, I I don't really read the hashtags often, so I don't think I know the, like what the names of many of the challenges are or like the dances, but. Um there's like I don't know if what your like TikTok feed is like but on mine there's like maybe 5 to 10 songs that are like super hot at any given moment
0: yeah and I right
1: stuck in my head continuously
0: seriously hey would you do the stand up challenge with me to, for a fundraiser
1: yeah sure All right,
0: sweet there it is <laughs> boom We'll, we'll get practicing in quarantine. It's <laughs> like, oh, God. <laughs> Casey, edit that out. I don't want to do it. Um, but, that, no, it's fun, right? I think, I Think you know, as much as we have to, like, protect and, and stay safe and all these things, we also, you know, it's a good time to try to experiment, try new things in marketing.
1: Yeah, and a good time to just, like, be human. Like, yeah. show your customers that, like, I don't know, there's a personality behind, like, the marketing that you're doing and... Um, you don't take yourself that seriously, and I think there's right. a lot
0: of value in that. Especially if that's your brand, but even if it isn't, like, now's a good time to show who you are. I know there was a lot of things coming out about different brands that were doing different naughty things. I don't know if you heard about, um, like, uh, Ruth Chris or Steak Shack. Have you heard, heard of this guy? Oh, Shake Shack. I think it was Shake Shack. Yeah. Um, they got the PPP, PPP funding through, like, a loophole or something, um, got $10 million, and everyone's like, wait, what, what are you doing? Do you need that money? And uh, steak shack or shake shack, either one could fit, gave the money back. They're like, okay, we're not going to take the money. So someone else can use it, which I don't think actually works because it's not allocated to them. But, um, but no, no one's heard from Ruth, Chris. And my thought was, well, they don't even, you know, no one can even say their name. So it, I'm sure they're not yeah. out for the people, <laughs> but yeah, it's like all these different brands. It's like, now's their time to show if they actually care if they are human, I love that, to the point, be human right now.
1: Yeah, I, I love that Shake Shack did that. Um,
0: it is Shake Shack. Shack? See, Shake we don't Shack, have yeah. any of those up here, so I'm, like, completely.
1: Yeah, they, um, I've only had Shake Shack in Chicago. I don't know where, I don't know where it originated, but amazing, amazing burgers yeah. and milkshakes.
0: I had in the airport um, somewhere.
1: Yeah, it's some good stuff. I don't know if I've ever been to a Ruth Chris Steakhouse, but um yeah like they like side by side in all the headlines like those two companies were um referenced together like like Ruth Chris and Shake Shack got this PPP funding or whatever and um Shake Shack stepping up and like doing the human thing and like talking about it and like being a part of the conversation about what was going on I think that's genius PR move because yeah Ruth Chris looks like the bad guy and Shake Shack looks like like Frequent there when we can go out to restaurants
0: again, maybe. Right? Maybe. If you're in the airport and you're hungry and there's nothing else open, maybe. Yeah. Um. I mean, is this Shake
1: Shack or <laughs> the Ruth Chris Steakhouse? Oh,
0: oh, please. <laughs> please. Yeah. Um, I was seeing some comments on, on Facebook where um, uh, Deb Gabor, I got to introduce you to her. She's amazing. Uh, her book is A Brand is Sex. Um, so she's a lot of fun. Um, um, EO, EO as well. <laughs> um, so I'll introduce you to her. Um, she was saying that someone told her Ruth Chris is the third-rate steakhouse in the second largest cities. <laughs> so shots fired, Ruth Chris. What are you going to do now? Um, Those but, are fighting uh, words. Yeah. yeah, you're right. These little, these decisions, it's so true. The little decisions even that we make in our marketing, in our emails, if we're casual about something um, that we should be serious about in terms of medical, or if we're, you know, abusing the keywords. I know I ranted about that the other day on LinkedIn, like stop being like, all about COVID in your emails unless you're really helping or just you know leave that alone um, but now is a good time for people to, to step it up. Have you seen anyone do it wrong, do it right, any recommendations on how people you know blend that humanity back into their marketing?
1: Um, somebody shared an example in our team Slack um, that we shared at the virtual happy hour last week um, but it was a, a mailer from a car dealership that they put in a, a like a brown envelope and wrote stimulus funding on it or something like that. Like Corona COVID stimulus funding what? to get people to open it. But like, how pissed would you be if you are like, Oh my God, is this something I need, need to care about? And then it's an ad for a car dealership. Like, uh, th- hell?
0: That, that is in like a Dante's level of hell right there. In fact, that dealership needs to get outed in the internet. Yeah. And the, anonymous needs to swoop down on them and just <laughs> and let them know what's up. That's the worst. Wow. That's so scammy. That is so yeah, scammy. Um, bad. Of course, they're getting a lot of free attention, but hopefully, it's too much for them and it breaks them. But um, yeah, I've I, also. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say the only the only other like mistake that I, f- I feel like is taking place a lot is like people feeling like they need to to keep marketing or keep the same frequency of communications just to fill the void and like if you used to do a weekly email and now you don't have a reason to, we don't need to hear from you weekly still about how you feel about COVID. Like it's not adding value. So like thinking about like, like, what, what is this trying to accomplish? And like, am I making anybody's lives better because of sending this?
0: Yeah, that's huge. Honestly, you know, Deb, Deb was who I was chatting with uh, the other day was saying like, it might be a good time to stop your, your automations, just to make sure you don't have some, weird thing in there i think she got you know she bought some legal pads and she got an email from, from staples saying can you can you give a five-star rating to these legal pads she's like i have a few more important things to do than rate my legal pad purchase staples like <laughs> come on <laughs> it's like maybe you know maybe you should change things um but yeah i've seen a lot more emails i think in my in my i don't say spam box but the the my in- buy- other
1: quarantine hobby is unsubscribing from things. Oh, um, amen. Yeah. It's been so refreshing to see my inbox start to clear up. It seems like a lot of people are embracing that as a quarantine hobby. So I'd be fascinating. It'll be fascinating to see what the data shows on like marketers unsubscribe rates during this.
0: Oh my gosh. Quarantine time. hobby. We've invented it here. <laughs> Love it. Quarantine hobby is unsubscribing from emails. Yep. TikTok. And uh, they're I'm, yeah. And they're I'm all learning the how to
1: make gin. That's my other quarantine hobby: gin
0: making. You're learning how to make gin. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez, we have to get into that. Okay. So, one <laughs> other question before we get into some of that craziness: um, marketing automation. We both love it. We worked it many, many, many years. We between us, we have like a thousand years collective Pardot experience. Um, yeah.
1: Rounding, rounding up.
0: Yeah, rounding up, honestly, uh, conservatively. Conservatively speaking, about a thousand years of experience. Um, do you remember when you first got it? Do you remember when you first, what platform was it? And...
1: Yeah, so I, um, I first onboarded Pardot in 2010. Uh, I was actually a HubSpot customer at the time. Okay. But the platforms weren't as similar as they are today.
0: Um, All right. HubSpot's
1: email engine was just getting started. Um, Pardot wasn't really positioning in the same way that HubSpot was. So in my mind, they weren't even, like, really competitors. Um, But, yeah, 2010. It's hard to believe it's been a decade.
0: Jeez. Um, Time flies. And, yeah, some things change and some things stay the same. They haven't changed the name yet. It's nice.
1: Um,
0: But I think eventually when people figure out that it's not Pardo, then they'll change it because I think that's the whole point. (laughs) Yeah, as
1: soon as everyone gets it down.
0: Yeah, as soon as everyone's got it. Like, all the people we visit overseas and they're like – Pardot right you're like oh my gosh you're right that's what you call it they'll be like okay we're renaming this something else you can't pronounce um I really hope they don't
1: change
0: the name though I think the I really Pardot brand has such
1: good like such good brand equity that it would be I would miss it if they
0: changed it seriously in this Pardot tattoo I have over here that you know <laughs> <laughs> I like would have to scratch it out Pardot gods please do not change the name please 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 it's way cooler than Marketo and HubSpot. So just leave it the same. Amen. How come just
1: that old school logo, the purple and teal?
0: You know. The,
1: the crazy key. And then they yeah. changed it to orange for an exact target bottom.
0: For, for like a second when it was orange. Yeah. <laughs> and then just as soon as you're like, okay, we got orange in our docs now. They're like, cool, it's not orange anymore. Like, damn it. <laughs> um, so if I were to ask you, well, where do you think it goes? Where do you think marketing automation goes? Yeah, the future of it. Yeah, I think um because you're connected. You're like you're tied into the ecosystem. You know things. I don't know if you you know have your own apartment, Salesforce Tower, but you should. And uh so what's the inside scoop? Yeah I I
1: think the, the future of marketing automation is expanding beyond the swim lane of what most people traditionally consider marketing. And we kind of touched on this with some of our our last discussions but Um, like marketing automation being the tool that's driving everything. Um, So like Pardot plus um, service cloud and looking at um, how we can communicate with customers differently based on um, the support ratings they're giving us, or if they have an open case or um, proactively targeting um, sales opportunities based on uh, complaints about a particular product. Um, So kind of integrating like marketing with service, um, also, like, Pardot and Salesforce communities, so looking at, like, how are we communicating with dealers, with partners, and can we use tools, like, Qualify to streamline the process of, um, like, booking meetings and routing leads to um, our dealer network. I think, yeah, just kind of overall theme, like, marketing, busting out of its swim lane, and um, looking at ways it can add value across the whole business.
0: Oh, that's so cool. You, as you were describing that, I was thinking about like a pair of shoelaces or something where like marketing automation is sort of threaded in throughout all the different brands and silos and parts of the shoe and it's like you're pulling it tighter. You know, things are just getting closer and closer and marketing is the thing that does that um, and, I, and I like that we're always kind of thinking big picture and now we have technology that can start thinking big picture with us. I mean, we're getting out with the campaign tracking but... I I like where you're going with, like, we're gonna tie into service, like, how, how can we kind of look into that, and how can we look into that? So maybe marketing becomes the thing that just bridges all of these gaps, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm all about that. The other, like, kind of future of thing, um, ABM, when, when ABM first started getting hot, I honestly was kind of annoyed by the talk track around it, because from my perspective, like. ABM is B2B marketing, like that's how B2B marketers should operate, like you're thinking about, like sales is thinking about what's our plan of attack for these accounts, Um, looking at like, like that's just how they think about it. Um, So if you're not already on the ABM train, I would highly recommend um, starting to think about that and starting to think about ways to understand the worldview of your sales team and how marketing can fit into that. it feels weird to call that a future of thing because it's it's not like it's revolutionary. It's been around for a while, but um, definitely something that I, I think we should see more B2B companies leaning into over the next couple years.
0: There it is right there. Mic drop. <sighs> That's it. Yeah. No, I, I love that. That is, I was, I was the same way with ABM. Usually I'm this I'm the same way with anything that people are kind of, it's like a trend. I am not like the early in the curve, the adoption curve, you know, and like um, crossing the chasm, those kind of things. I am not early on. I'm like a laggard because I'm like, really? I'm skeptical. Everyone likes this because you know what? Everyone liked New Kids on the Block back in the day. And I was like, Psh, I'm skeptical. These guys lost. <laughs> Everyone was like, this is the best TV show ever. I'm like, I'm not going to watch that till the last season. Then I'm like, wait, this is actually one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. Right? So I'm kind of always, you know, sort of like really kind of seeing, is this just buzz or is this actually good? But you're right. I mean, there's so many good things about ABM and we're just, we're just doing it. Just good marketing. It just has like a banner and a title and conferences and that kind of thing. But really it's just about a matter matter of zeroing in on the right customers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What what rubbed me the wrong way about the early ABM talk track was, I feel like they positioned it as the alternative to like all the marketing that you're currently doing. Like, don't worry about generating leads, worry about accounts. Um, but it's, you have to do both. Like you have to walk and chew gum at the same time. Like you still have to do content marketing that still applies to your ABM strategy. It's not an either or thing. It's about like being on the same page of sales and making sure that you're contributing and operating the So
0: Yeah. It's a good point. Like the whole, you know, flip your funnel as in whatever you're doing now, you're completely upside down. I mean, there's some finer points to like, well, look, you know, a lot of these people are going after you're trying to boil the ocean. That's one thing. Let's get more targeted. But yeah, it's not like stop what you're doing and go buy display ads. Like that's, that ain't it, right? It's it's more a matter yeah. of, okay, what could you do for everybody? Now, what could you do for a select few? And what, you know, how can you customize it? Yeah, there, there's some really good lessons. Um, I, don't, I don't know how it got all buzzy, but it did. But I think we're kind of recovering from that now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, used to kind of, like, just, just like the label, like, slapping a label on it and be like, this is ABM, because, mm-hmm. like, from my perspective, that's how good B2B marketing was just done, but yeah. in a weird way, like, sometimes putting a label on things makes it easier for people to talk about them, so that's true. labeling it probably has contributed to the rise of it in general.
0: Um, you know, that's actually a good, good point, because I was looking up, um, yeah, the book here, but, um. Sangram. i mean abm is b2b right That that's the book it's true yeah. like cool and i'm glad he came out with that because his other book was like let's flip the funnel and, and then it's like smash everything Um, uh, but this book is like it's really what well, this thing it's is broken. It's, whatever yeah it's broken oh and the other thing i thought you were gonna go there too is like not only were they saying stop doing what you're doing not Sangram, but like the abm buzz um but it was also like anti-marketing automation like marketing automation is this old school thing you gotta flip you know flip it and don't use that anymore. Use this other tool. But it's like, ah, uh, is it all about yeah. just using another tool, or is it, you know, what's the strategy? Where does the technology yeah. fit after that?
1: Yep. No, no strategy has ever been accomplished by a single tool. It's how you yeah. use it, not like throwing product at things.
0: Seriously, seriously, we. Can, I know you encounter that all the time too. Just people throwing throwing tech at the wall and seeing if it sticks. Electronics yep. don't stick on anything, so. <laughs> Don't do that. It's not like spaghetti. Spaghetti sticks. You can throw that at the wall, but don't throw um, (laughs) don't throw your laptop at the wall. Hey, um, future, future of marketing. um, Anything exciting you coming around the bend? We've talked about the changes that are happening with marketing automation specifically, but anything else we should keep our eyes open for? Any other exciting things just happening around the around the corner?
1: So this isn't entirely linked to marketing, but two there's two kind of just general trends that I'm super interested to see how they evolve with all this COVID stuff. So one is, um, where higher ed goes as a result of, of kind of everything moving virtual. Um, I think this can be a huge opportunity to, um, just kind of revisit some old assumptions about the yeah. way people learn and the way people interact with each other. And, um, yeah, just kind of like, take a note a closer look at those assumptions and um be open to new ways of doing things. Um also with remote work in general, like all the companies have been forced to go virtual overnight. Um I'm super interested to see how that evolves and things that we learn from um this weird quarantine period.
0: Yeah, you know, um on the higher ed thing it's so true. And and we may not feel the impact for a while. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a professor, and um, they're kind of insulated right now. So they've got grants, they've got the research happening, all those kind of things, um, and so they're not really going to feel it. So a little bit later, when there may not be another grant right away or less funding, um, and then does enrollment change and things like that. So right now they're kind of they're kind of comfy because everything is just sort of like, well, you're, you're remote. Um, but yeah, the idea of will students want to learn from virtual zoom and i know some do i mean and and there's there's some great businesses that do that southern new hampshire university does that they're like all over the place but um do you want to pay 30 50 80 however much k 100 that you're paying a year um whatever it is these days i know it keeps going higher it's scary when you have kids right so do you want to pay that for a zoom call that you're going to barely have be able to pay attention for um, or does that have to change in order to justify the money or do you just go hop on YouTube and get like, you know, the Shaw class and some of the other things, you just get some free education, go hop on Trailhead, get yourself a cert.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like, does the curriculum need to change? Yeah. Like, as like, should your degree involve like taking three electives and four math classes? and Or should it be more like functional based and focused? Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. And also just in higher ed also. Um, like, if you're a, a working professional who wants to upskill or, um, like, take your career to the next level, like, is an MBA the right, mm. is is that the right move? Or, like, are there more bite-sized trainings or other, um, like, delivery models that make more sense there? Yeah, do you have one? Did you do that? Um, I've done know. a couple of, um, I've done a couple of random things, like, Seth Godin has this program called Alt-MBA that I'm a huge fan of, did you, um, did you do business. that?
0: I think talked a while ago. Yeah, that's right. That Because mm-hmm. when we first met, you had, like, just done that. And that seemed like a really cool program, way better than any kind of extras. Yeah, so.
1: it's, it's badass. I'm not going to lie. Um, Harvard Business School also, um, with their millions and millions of dollars of endowment, um, built this really cool learning platform for their, they have an, an online learning series called HBX. Um, and it's basically, like, six weeks cor- six-week courses that their business school puts together that's hmm. They're very topical focused and very like case based learning. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Are yeah. they good? They were fantastic. They were fantastic. They were super good. Oh, and cool. the technology that they use to drive it is um, like world class. Like they wow. they built this whole portal where I mean it's it's honestly almost a, a little bit similar to Trailhead where <laughs> you're reading content, you're watching yeah. videos, you're taking little quizzes um, as you're like studying on your own. And then the classroom experience, they, they actually have a professor that's teaching it live and they have like TV screens all around him. And so everybody's on video and he can like call on, the mm. professor can call on people.
0: Um, so there's cool. like a
1: chat and a whole like breakout function and um, it's, it's
0: really well designed. Yeah, that, that's it. See, they're, they're figuring some stuff out ahead of the curve. It sounds like yeah, other people are going to have to ad- adapt and adjust to that. I mean, even elementary, right? I'm, upstairs, Lizzie was on a, like a class meeting, and I was hearing the teacher talk and describe how she's dressing up because she's going to the grocery store later and called on someone to do a math problem and was like, that person had to sort of work it out. And she wasn't just going to the next person. It was like, you. And I remember yesterday called out a student who didn't who she could see wasn't paying attention. I was like, oh, no, we're going to stay on you because it looks like we need to concentrate here. Um, So things things could certainly be changing. Uh, Interesting on the on the MBA front, though, it sounds like those those specific topical things were were a good route for you. I know I couldn't handle like doing like the full MBA where I'd have some professor um, talking about social media and then like you know, with with less followers than I have. And I don't even have a lot of followers, but like something being okay, you follow people on Twitter, like, oh, I'm paying like five grand for this class. What am I doing? Um, But I I can see how specific topical things that you actually want to pick up that knowledge might be the way of the future. Very cool. Um, Tell me about the remote work thing too, because you guys are remote. We're remote. but A lot of our customers haven't been. And so everyone's sort of making that shift.
1: Yeah, it's, um, yeah, so our, our team has been fully remote since, um, day one, and I know you, yeah. have you guys always been remote
0: also? Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, yeah, I, I, it feels like a, sort of an unfair competitive advantage because, like, our team already has, like, the whole home setup, is used to kind of totally. doing things on their own, collaborating virtually. Yeah. Um, obviously, like, the kids and the spouses at home are a different twist on the whole thing. <laughs> um, right.
0: Find that private space, otherwise you have the kid walking in the background.
1: Yeah, I think I I took, I almost was taking for granted how good our team is at digital collaboration, Mm -hmm. and that became apparent when our, when lots of customers and prospects started trying to do video calls and things like that, like, just basic things like, you can't hold your camera and walk around, like, it's so distracting, don't do that, turn it off for five seconds, Um, and just kind of some Zoom etiquette, things like that.
0: Yeah, Um, any other football, people mess mess up on Zoom? What'd you say? Either like faux pas, anything other people are doing that you probably should stop doing on Zoom. Any recommendations?
1: Um, well, I know a lot of people like these, but I hate the virtual backgrounds. <laughs> <It's actually
0: distracting. laughs> they they are. They can be. If you have a laptop that can handle it'll even you don't even need like a green screen these days. Um, yeah. Uh, but
1: yeah, um, my like on mine it's pretty. Um, do it. You want you want to see?
0: Like I can go, I can go to space. Uh, wow. You're in space. The final frontier.
1: Yeah. But of it's a, to me, it's just a distraction. And part of the magic of video is like, you're, you're seeing people where they are and if their kid is in the background, like the kids in the background, it's fine. Like we're all kind of in the same boat with that. And
0: Yeah. Honestly, uh, the backgrounds can be kind of interesting. It shows a little bit who you are. Of course, I'm in a boring basement right now, but um, we an orange wall. Uh, yeah. yeah. It sparks <laughs> a conversation, if nothing it, else. It totally does. It totally does. And, And um, I was talking to someone else on a prep call the other day, and he has two cameras. And he showed me first this kind of cool view from the side that showed his bookshelf and stuff. And then then he did this, like, super high camera that's on top of his, like, tech stack or whatnot. And I was like, let's go back to the side one because it showed more of your your room. It was good seeing the things behind you. You're right. And sometimes even just watching people fade in and out because their face shades the color of the wall or something, that's more distracting than just (laughs) – your green wall with a cool trailblazer guy behind right it's like that's way more interesting I will say though for me um, I can tell it the color of my hat right here and if I um, if I do that then it it'll like change my hat a different color let's see here
1: that's
0: cool so I can go like that right oh, yeah. and then that's just like coolest it's like a back the to the future hat right <laughs> like yeah back to future hat um but yeah, terribly distracting, because everywhere you go, it's, like, a different part of the image.
1: Um, Other, like, virtual collaboration learnings, I think. Um, so, like, a lot, of, a lot of people are adopting Slack now as, like, a way for their teams to stay right in touch. And I think, like, setting, like, clear expectations around, like, how it's meant to be used is important, because, like, the sense of urgency responding to Slack messages, if you're just, like, if you have notifications on on your phone, like, the, it's overwhelming, and people feel like they have to respond, like, right away, um, so with, right. with my team, I've tried to set the expectation that, like, Slack is asynchronous communication, like, if you need to come back to the thread a little bit later, that is fine. If I'm sending you a note at 5.30, you can wait until morning to respond to it, like, it's no more urgent than email.
0: Unless I send you a message, in which case I, did, I demand an immediate response, <laughs> um, but it's like it's communication yeah it makes it makes like, sense like do this in parallel with everything else it's not like i'm calling you on the phone
1: another thing we've talked a lot about internally is like um like thinking harder about tone for digital mm. communications because if people can't see you they can't hear your voice like a lot can get lost in translation so like th- being purposeful about like thinking a lot about like how how your messages will make people feel and maybe investing a little more time in that than you would otherwise, if you had a chance to see them in person most of the day, um, and then great. also, like when you're on the receiving end of messages, just assuming positive and in- positive intent like reading it in the best possible way it could have been meant rather than reacting to things that may or may not have been a part of the message.
0: That is huge, honestly. I'm got- glad it even came up because you're so right. I mean, there's a reason emoticons exist because if I say something sarcastic and I don't wink at you. What, what are you yeah. supposed to expect? I, I guess you got to take me at what I've just said. You know, I mean, the juvenile, the, the early days was like, don't use all caps because that's yelling. We're beyond that now. We're like, I'm winking yeah. or smiling at you because I do not mean that I hate you. I'm just saying I hate you. Right. So it's like, you, you need to assume that that doesn't necessarily come through the words. Um, and assuming the, assuming the positive intent to that, that's a really tough one because I know people who don't right? So to your point about tone, know that you need to work on assuming other people's intent is positive, but they may not assume yours is positive. So be extra careful sending that message because they try reading your own message in like the worst possible way and see how it sounds, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like an example of that is like, like, one-word answers, like, just, like, a yes or no, like, maybe you're, like, the person's on their phone, they're just responding in Slack, but so the person on the receiving end, if you ask, like, a really elaborate question, the person just says, yes, like, it feels, it feels off-putting, um, yeah, and so, like, if you're, if you're on the writing end of that, like, thinking a little bit harder about, like, like, can I add some additional context around this, or can I affirm what they're saying, and if you're on the receiving end of that, realizing, like, That person probably didn't think about it for that long, and they, like, they were probably, like, making dinner and doing this on their phone also. So, like, just because something feels, like, you feel like there's more to read between the lines, like, don't put meaning that isn't there and assume that they mean well by it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the assumptions. Good point. As we, as we shift out of the facial communications, and I, I still think video whenever you can, you know, especially internally, Um, even with customers, but when you can't, and you're an email, it's a good point, like, wow, you you know, what kind of miscommunications could possibly be happening um, out there in the ether, especially when people aren't used to that, but your your thing about the the huge email, um, kind of reminding me, somebody asked me, they're like, I don't know, HubSpot, Pardot, the other day, they're asking me that on email, and I don't usually have time for long ranty emails, but you gotta get it out of your system one or two of these days. So I just it was like late at night, I had a glass of wine, so I was like, "Let's do this. Let's defeat the, the forces of HubSpot." And so I was just writing back to this this owner of this um, financial company. It was like, "Here's the deal. Here's a, this. It's something like 12 paragraphs. I know a little crazy, but I was like into it, and I didn't realize how long it was. So I scrolled back." And then when I sent it and I got my response, actually, I didn't get a response. So I had to be like, did you get this? And then, um, the response I got was like, it was like, you know, several paragraphs. It was like, long, which was good because if he had just been like, okay, thanks. I would have been like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just, yeah. I just spent like two hours of my life for you. Like, okay. K, k- Bye. <laughs> oh man. 100%. Crazy. Okay. So, um, I have a question for you I've known you for a bit and uh, my question to you is who are you like take (laughs) us back to like little Andrea days who are you where did you come from what was it like growing up as you like take us back in time
1: yeah so um, my I'll tell you about my parents I guess since they're kind of like the origin but my mom is from uh, Santiago Santiago Chile no um, my dad is from, uh, Kearney, Nebraska, so very opposite, um, very opposite upbringings. Um, but yeah, she, uh, immigrated when she was in college. Um, she, her family had a host of a lot of exchange students and randomly, most of them were from Nebraska. So she just assumed that's where, that's where all the people are. Um, unfortunately not really the case. Um, but, uh, my dad was in the Navy. So as a kid, that's I moved cool. around a ton. Um.
0: Like um, how much did you move around? Because my dad was in the Navy too, and then he eventually got in the Air Force. So uh, what different I mean, places did you go.
1: Like every two years, roughly. So like really? South Carolina, Washington, Georgia, Connecticut, Massachusetts. Um,
0: where else? I think that's pretty much it. Damn, that's a lot of movements every two years. Because I know sometimes they try to slow that roll down a little bit. Yeah, it was
1: it was a it was a rapid roll. Um, was but.
0: How long was that? It was like through through high school or whatnot? Or you were just constantly moving? Or
1: I'm um, through fourth grade. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and then but then settled in in Omaha, Nebraska, and that's where I went to like high school and middle school and all that. Um, but yeah, so uh, studied political science in college. Um, I really wanted to work for the federal government. Um, changed my mind about that after like doing some internships and things in government and in politics.
0: Where did that come from, um, though? Like what? early on, you just, what, what kind of inspired you to, like, look into that or pursue that kind of thing?
1: I don't really know. I, I've always been interested in politics and have always been, um, like, I was, like, the dork in, like, second grade who was, like, making petitions and trying to get everybody to sign, like, a rally for having Martin Luther King get off of school or whatever. Nice.
0: Um, in, like, second grade, you're like, come on, guys, sign this with your, you know, your crayon really. hand and, like, let's, let's protest.
1: Yeah, I, I randomly ran into somebody that I went to elementary school with, um, and she's like, oh yeah, you're that petition girl, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> it stuck. Wow, petition girl, that's awesome, so you're just like, you know, you know, causing a storm here, and and that kind of person, so you're like, I'm gonna go to school for this, and just take this. Into yeah, place.
1: I what, what I liked about it was, um, I guess, like, just an interest in being able to drive change, and um, like advocate for things that you believe in, yeah. um, and that, that's kind of why I lean into politics as, like, political science as an angle, but um, I did a, did a couple internships for um, political campaigns, um, worked for a campaign consulting company, um, worked for the uh, mayor's office in Milwaukee, um, and what I realized is politics is not always the fastest way to drive change. Mm. Uh, things move really slowly, and people are pretty political and backstabby, and that's not really that fun. Um, it seemed, I mean, honestly, in, <clears throat> as a marketer and as a business owner, I feel like you, you have a lot of tools to drive change in a different way. Yeah. And it's a lot more fun than, um, than I, my early experiences with politics.
0: Yeah, totally. You can surround yourself with people that, like, you like to work with and who aren't going to backstab you the, the, the next election cycle. I had an experience like this too, where, um, I volunteered for a political campaign it was like a for the gut for a governor of New Hampshire it was like many moons ago um, it was a job so I, at first it was just a volunteer but like hey you do like computer things I was like sure they're like all right you can clean our database out like every day just sit there and like clean things out and help out your the IT guys okay um, and it was cool because you get to meet the candidate and he seemed like a nice business guy. His name is Benson. He's like a business guy. And you're like, okay, he seems like a smart guy, but like the other people in his party would like just tear him apart. And you're like, I don't know. That doesn't really sound true. I mean, he looks like a nice guy. Like, so it just kind of gave me that, that taste as well. That sounds like you saw where you're just like, Ooh, this is like gross. People that can handle this is like more power to them, I guess, but man, this is like dog eat dog cutthroat in here. 100% and I
1: I think that like the competitive side of campaigning and politics yeah it makes people do weird things and like behave like there's scarcity when there's not so like people wanting to be really close to the candidate and not wanting other people to have time and just like thinking about things in a a weird like zero-sum game type of way (laughs)
0: yeah right
1: we're all trying to do the same thing like can we all just chill
0: (laughs) yeah and and I think one of the things too is like the more fearful people are, the more you get your base afraid or angry, the more. And so you're just trying to make people scared and angry all day. And it's just like, ugh, like, I just yeah. want to make people happy and laugh all day. I don't want to make them like, like, help them find their dreams and like it, positive things, not just, you know, get them angry so we can get more power.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. And If your goal at the end of the day is to get shit done, like, yeah. I think that way of working is head and shoulders above, like, being overdramatic, or polarizing, or um, totally. political.
0: A buddy of mine's in, he's been an alderman off and on for the city I live in, and I'm like, no thanks, like, it'd be fun to run, and just meet people, and say hi, and shake hands, and have a sign, but he's <laughs> in, like, seven committee meetings for, like, a city, and it's, just, it's like, the committee to blah, 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 the committee to blah, blah, so to your point about getting things done, we can, we'll talk about things, we're gonna talk about things, and, tell people they're amazing but it's like oh I just want to get things done I want to s- smash this community and like let's go build that bridge but you can't you got to just sort of like do all the smoothing so okay so um, you're discovering this and then was this in school when you discovered this or Had you already graduated and you're like
1: so I mean I, I graduated with a, a um a degree in uh, political science with an yeah. emphasis on foreign politics and Spanish literature <laughs> hell yeah um, so yeah, I, I I realized while I was in school that 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 probably wasn't the route that I wanted to go, yeah. Um, and kind of just took a marketing job because like That's I what? wanted to try something new and do something different. You just did. And you just it, like
0: you just took a marketing job.
1: Yeah, and it just yeah. it just like escalated really quickly. Like, Jeez. and just, I liked what I was doing, so I kept doing it. And I took some marketing classes in in school and like did a minor in marketing. Oh cool. But okay. None okay. Of so you did a minor
0: in it, so you you've been thinking about it too.
1: Yeah. But none none of the courses that I took honestly had any bearing to the real world. Like we never we never talked about Salesforce. I didn't even know what marketing automation was as a category until I realized that I had a need for it. Like none of that was talked about in schools, like more of like statistical analysis of, um, brand awareness and the lift on like purchases of CPG products and like things that just aren't, aren't super relevant to B2B marketers.
0: I'm super like, I don't wanna say shady, like I have a very negative impression of school just because same here, like the the, the learnings that I did, I mean, I know there's some valuable lessons and socialization, I ran my first company and like, it's good stuff, but yeah, the content, it wasn't, it's, you know, hearing like your HPX experience or I was able to interview uh, Peter Fader, who's a Wharton professor on here. I'm like, oh, okay, there there are really good, like shining people that I would want to like just climb the mountain and learn from you know in the clouds kind of thing there are those people out there but a, a lot of times schools just they kind of just take orders you know and they're like here's this marketing stuff from the 80s and you're like okay thanks yeah it's crazy so you just kind of yeah, just kept course, doing working. it yeah
1: pretty much That's yeah awesome. so I um I, I the marketing gig that I got right out of school I was a one one marketing team um nice was a, as I mentioned before, was a HubSpot admin. So doing a lot of content marketing through HubSpot. Um, bought Pardot to fuel lead gen and email marketing. Um, and then our sales director came to me and said, hey, there's this thing that we use called Salesforce. Um, somebody bought it in 2007. Nobody knows how to use it. We'll send you to Dreamforce if you can figure out how to build this. He drew this thing for me on a that whiteboard. Um, That's awesome. What, what he drew basically was what sales path is right now. And he's like, if you can figure out how to make our Salesforce do this, like we'll pay for you to go to Dreamforce, so wow. I had no idea what I was getting into, but I was like, "Sure, absolutely, send me to San Francisco."
0: Yeah, and then um, you go to Dreamforce and like your eyes are open. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, like, the all universe. the Kool Aid immediately, full, yeah. full
1: on consumed. I've been a massive Salesforce fan ever since.
0: Absolutely. Which uh, year was that? Which Dreamforce?
1: Uh, Twenty eleven. Do
0: you know who Dreamforce. the band was? That's how I keep track. of who was playing?
1: Uh, it was Metallica. Oh. Okay, um, yeah. And the the second Dreamforce I went to was in 2018, which was also Metallica.
0: <laughs> so so it came, came full next circle. time you go, is that going to be Metallica? No, you've been a, you've been 19 and 20, right? So
1: yeah, I've been 19
0: yeah. Fascinating so fascinating to see if they
1: end up doing it in 20. I'm I'm betting on probably not.
0: Yeah, eventually they wheel them out in wheelchairs. They're like these old guys. Are like we're a Metallica, and then, <laughs> and. Well, it's a tradition here at Dreamforce to have Metallica, so we have them come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's awesome. That is so cool. And then, where did the idea for Cercante come from?
1: Um, so, after that gig, kind of where I was an in-house marketer, uh, I worked for a digital marketing agency, helping them um, do email marketing, uh, implement Pardot, and start thinking about ways they could evolve uh, the services that they were offering to their customers. Right. Uh, moved to Atlanta um, I guess it was three, three years ago, four years ago. From where?
0: Where were you before that? Um,
1: from Wisconsin.
0: Oh Wisconsin. wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really are mm-hmm. just Midwesty, out there.
1: Totally, yeah.
0: You have <laughs> ne- Nebraska roots. Are you gonna go to Chile at some point? Are you gonna just move there and have like a second home? Um, home?
1: so I actually lived there. I went to to uh part of middle school there. Oh wow. I went to school with my cousins. I was annoying you my Machu parents. Pichu so like, and all. Have you been so. like?
0: Have you explored down there and?
1: Definitely. Not really. I've only really been to Santiago and like the
0: beach. Oh, nice, nice. Okay. But yeah. So,
1: um, client side worked for a marketing agency. Yeah. Um, and then worked for a Salesforce consultant here in Atlanta called Configuro, who was yeah. do I did kind of a blend of like marketing consultancy and um, like helping them do Pardot implementations. But right. kind of those those two experiences of like seeing how marketing agencies were looking at Pardot and looking at how Salesforce consultants were looking at it. Um, it just felt like there was a a gap, um, like marketing agencies are really good at like the strategy and the creative and thinking about like how campaigns should be designed and executed. But as soon as a lead hits Salesforce, that's kind of where their depth of expertise ends. And they've kind of been kind of hands off as like, like, okay, yeah, we got the lead in, like, now you figure out what to do with it. That's not where we fit in. Um, Salesforce consultants almost have the opposite problem where like the process and the system side, they get like thinking through like what are all the steps that are going to be involved. But when marketers are like, okay, but how do I, how do I, what do I do with Pardot though? They're like, well, that's, that's find a marketing agency. So I'm kind of trying to position Sir right at the middle of those two things and provide everything that marketers need to be successful with Pardot. So strategy, creative, execution, technical support, um, and then full on integration with Salesforce
0: and process uh, right. process integration. Boom, there it is. You're totally, totally right about that middle ground, though. I think I think you and I both sort of just sort of love hanging out in there, and we can kind of speak to languages of the other sides. But there's sort of that third country in the middle that um, if if I had you know a dollar for every time you know someone tried to approach part out technically, you know like like. I remember an IT project manager trying to do implementation of Pardot. I'm like, okay, let's build some forms. And we're like, what would you like on the forms? And they're like, I don't know. What should we have on the forms? And we're like, well, you could do this and this and this and this. But it's kind of like their decision. You know, you need someone in the marketing team to be like, well, we want to capture this. But it was more of like, oh, no, this is an IT project, guys. You go ahead, just implement this thing. Don't worry about it. It's like actually there's a lot of requirements and there's all sorts of thought process and strategy to go into it so uh, it's so true
1: and you you just can't do it successfully without like having all that that full spectrum like all the boxes ticked there because like 10 bucks says that the it person that completed that part of implementation without like having a strategy or knowing what they were going to do with it those are the customers that six to 12 months later like log into part out like we did buy this thing like what have we done with it? Oh, nothing? Yeah. Oh, okay. That was a good investment.
0: Yeah. Like like we, when you were told, oh, we, we've had Salesforce for years. We just, here's the account. We've never, dusting it off. <laughs> we don't even know the logins anymore. Um, yeah. Like how do yeah. you know, actually use it? You're here to actually use it. Not just, it's not shelfware, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and okay. in a perfect world, like you'd have all those skill sets on your team. So like you'd have somebody that gets the, has a strategic vision. Somebody that's, can drive the creative, can write content. Um, but if you don't, and like, there's a specific gap, um, like, identify those and find ways to fill them because, like, Pardot isn't broken if you if you aren't using it. Like, um, I, I yeah. see a lot of, we, we talk to a lot of organizations that have had Pardot for a while that have the opinion that they have, like, a failed implementation. And when we start digging in, more often than not, it's, like, it has nothing to do with how the system was actually technically implemented it's a process thing, or a content thing, or their data is all over the place, right. um, and
0: it's like not that, using that just it, wasn't right? thought Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the implementation is like a drop in the hat. Your implementation is like a two month training process with a couple setup items. Albeit make sure those are set up, but after that, it's like, what are yeah. you going to build? How are you going to use it? Not just let it. It's not like set it and forget it kind of thing, you
1: know? Yeah. yeah so either like build those core competencies on your team, or find a partner
0: who can fill yeah I know two really good ones <laughs> you're here listening to them right now I know um, a few. right so uh, yeah there are a few but but we're, we're talking here so. <laughs> um, yeah so this is cool stuff you know you've had a really cool history and I want to get to talking about a few things but if you were to kind of wrap this thing up and um, I gotta tell you a secret I may or may not have a time machine in Nashua New Hampshire now, with COVID and everything, you can't really get up here to use it, you know, gloves and mask and everything. So, uh, but afterward, if I was to let you use, hypothetical, a time machine that may or may not exist, let um, and go back in time to, to talk to yourself, right? And ideally, you're kind of going right back to time. You just graduated college. You got that poli-sci, the, the minor in marketing, you got the Spanish literature. Um, what would you tell yourself? What would you advise yourself, knowing what you know, having done all these things you've done?
1: Yeah, I, I wish I would have gotten exposure to Salesforce even earlier.
0: Um, I mean,
1: 2010 is still fairly early days for marketing automation. Um, but, yeah, there's just so much career potential in this ecosystem. Yeah. Um, so I definitely would have pointed pointed past self
0: um, to those tools. I would also... Um, Might as well tell yourself to buy stock while you're at it too, right? Yeah. There's this absolutely. thing called Salesforce, go do that now, buy some stock. What? Yeah. Stock? You'll thank me later. Go for it
1: up a hundred percent yeah and also like another thing I would let my past self know um so like a lot of the things that frustrated me early in my career like trying to convince sales to update their effing opportunities (laughs) um like all of like the work to drive change to kind of build adoption are in part out in salesforce um at the time I always kind of viewed that as like the stuff that is getting in the way of doing the work, mm-hmm. um, but in a big way, like that human side of trying to drive change is the the real work. Like that's the hard work of being a B2B marketer. Um, so I would have I would have told my my past self like, power through it. You're gonna learn a ton, and um, like driving driving change is like that's the work. That's all. That's what
0: it's all about. Yeah, I like that the human side of that change That's the work. Not like, Oh, look what I got to deal with. I just really want to build this thing. It's like part of building it is that, that change management. Yeah.
1: Yeah, The blood, sweat, and tears that go into like, like getting others on board and
0: all that stuff. Makes the tech the easy part. You know, it's, it's the, the gooey humans that are are (laughs) (laughs) the illogical gooey humans with their all, their different needs and, and wants in the organization. It's like getting all of them to, slowly move in that direction, that's the real mastery of the whole experience.
1: I would also tell my more, my more recent past self, um, to take the leap and jump, start Circante earlier. Oh, yeah. Um, I, like, I had the idea of starting a business in the back of my mind for a really long time, but just always thought, like, like, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, I haven't seen enough part orgs, like, I'm not, I'm not X, Y, Z. Um uh, sure. Like, that That imposter syndrome is very real in a lot of part time Salesforce admins, and a lot of people that have fantastic ideas for how they can make a difference in the ecosystem. So, yeah, take the leap if you're one of those people and you have, you're have cooking an idea.
0: Take the leap. I love that. And the imposter syndrome, where do you think that comes from? Because you're right. Everyone kind of has that, you know, like, oh, here you are, you know, 12X certified, and it's like, oh, have I seen enough – Accounts, hell yeah, you have. Like, you know, where, where does that come, that sort of self doubt come from? You think so? I mean, I think all professionals kind of
1: struggle with yeah. imposter syndrome, and yeah. just like with social media and all of the communication that's out there, it's really easy to compare yourself to people and mm-hmm. like assume that everybody else has it figured out, and <laughs> you're the one that doesn't, right? Um, I also think like just being in your own part out in Salesforce org sometimes is kind of limiting because like you don't know what you don't know you haven't yeah. seen under the hood of other people's environments and so like it's always interesting to to like hear somebody talk about like where they're at with part of it and then actually look into their org and see it because some of the best marketers that i know they're like oh everything's a mess we haven't really we haven't really used it that much we're not doing scoring and grading we have so much to learn mm-hmm. and then you look into their system and it's like a beautiful thing to behold.
0: Yeah. Like, all the beautiful okay. folder structures and everything.
1: Yeah, um, and then the flip side is true too, where like some people that are fairly confident about where they're at and don't feel like they have <laughs> log in and it's like, wait, you're just using this like a glorified MailChimp.
0: Like, Those are fun, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, one had their main form on their on their homepage that everyone visits and everyone fills out, and it was in kiosk mode, right? And so <laughs> they didn't know anything. It was like, ah, uh. um, but yeah, it, kind of having the humility to look around and see other accounts and listen to other user stories and also the confidence to be able to say, actually we've got something good going on here.
1: Yeah. Sure. And everybody, everybody has things to learn. Like the Salesforce ecosystem is infinite. Like you can <laughs> never know everything there is to know about Salesforce. So true. Um, but if you've, if you've been doing this for a while and like you care about it, you probably also have something to teach. So mm-hmm. like, getting involved in user groups, getting involved in the success community, um, can, can be a good way to combat some of that imposter syndrome, I think.
0: Yeah, and, you know, that user group thing, it, you don't need to be an expert, you just need to lo- love what you do, right, and, and learn yeah. from people, and, I mean, for me, the podcast is that, like, i realize, realized, huh, there's a lot of marketing I don't know because I do so much marketing automation. I need to learn more, and so you just kind of put yourself out there to learn from somebody else. And, and you, I'm learning from you today. And um, and you're right. That's what user groups all are about is just sharing knowledge and just learning from each other. Take the leap, says yep. There it is. There's a, there, there's the Instagram. There's the TikTok, Keep jumping <laughs> off of something. Um, sweet. So. This has been really crazy, really cool. Um, we are quarantined. You're in your home office. I'm in mine. Where are you going when this thing is done? When when you can get out of the house, when, when travel starts to open up, do you have any place in mind? Because I know you're a big traveler. I'm seeing photos of you, like first class feet up, coming back from Amsterdam or whatnot. Like where where are you going first when you can get out of here?
1: So right before all this quarantine and shelter in place thing yeah. stuff started hitting I was in Australia um I was there for a conference what? which got canceled after I already landed um but I was supposed to be there for three weeks and my hubby was gonna come out we were gonna do a trip like last week do um a bunch of vacationy things and outdoorsy things in Australia and um uh, nice. like I, I didn't do anything touristy in the two weeks that I was there because I was saving it all up for my husband together for, so we could do the fun stuff together um but then all this stuff started hitting countries started closing borders so I had to cancel and like come home early Um, so I'm going back to
0: Australia damn it and (laughs) Um, and you didn't do a single touristy thing because you're waiting for your husband to get out there so you can like
1: yeah exactly like
0: so you are in like like, corporate Australia for two weeks (laughs) yeah (laughs) do you even get to like the beach or anything or Mm -mm. no oh my gosh Mm -hmm. um what was it like
1: um, it was it was awesome. I, I honestly loved the time difference, um, weirdly, because like by the time I'd wake up in the morning, um, like it it'd be the future, like the next day compared to Eastern time. So the team would be firing on all cylinders, I'd log on, catch up on a few meetings, um, do a bunch of emails. I, I woke up at like five a.m. every day there to start working and maximize overlap with East Coast time. Sure. Um, but then by like 10 a.m. like everybody else went offline. So like it was completely quiet. Everyone was asleep. I could do some really, like, deep focused work. Sure. Um, it was awesome. And also just the, um, like, met with a bunch of people, uh, Salesforce people, Pardot customers, um, spoke at the Melbourne Pardot user group. Nice. Um, just, I don't know, culturally loved the Australians and, um, had a really good time. So, I'm going back there.
0: That's cool. 100%. It's a long flight though, right?
1: Yeah, it's brutal. Um, it's like a flight to LAX, and then it's like 17 hours or something like that.
0: So you're, it's like a 24-hour day. Yeah, you, you go to sleep day. on
1: the plane, you sleep for a full eight-hour night, and you wake up, and there's still like eight hours left to go. And it's
0: wow, so brutal. you have like a full eight-hour day awake after you've already been asleep, so it's not like you can be like groggily. Damn. Yeah, brutal. Do you, do you even have Wi-Fi if you're like that far out?
1: Um, I had, I had Wi-Fi for most of the flights,
0: yeah. You did? No kidding, um, okay. Um,
1: Delta.
0: Delta. Shout out, Delta. They, they gotta take care yeah, of themselves Delta right love. now. I know, seriously. Um, wow, so, okay. If you have Wi-Fi, that makes sense. I did a, a flight on China Eastern many moons ago to Thailand. It was long, and I realized, oh, we're over international space, in, like, there was no Wi-Fi. Maybe just because it was China Eastern, but I was like, I yeah. guess I'm watching some more movies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean,
1: I could have also been asleep when we lost Wi-Fi. It's entirely possible. Oh,
0: like, that's true, true. And then back in time to, to have it. Uh, so long flight, but that's where you're going. And you're gonna you're gonna take the husband with you uh, right off the bat, like like get out I'm here. will probably bring him along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, hang out with kookaburras and koalas. I hear you can like hold a koala
1: um you can't in sydney but in other australian states you can
0: oh really so there's like an anti-koala holding law? yep
1: they have a anti yeah you can't touch them yeah. weirdly weird. it's not that weird because they're, like, they're like the
0: cutest, cutest little animals. teddy bears ever but i hear they poop a lot I
1: yeah they also all these like massive like claw hands
0: yeah like, a mad koala i think could could do some damage, right? It's like you wake up and there's an angry koala next to you. You're like, no. <laughs> um, have where have you? So you, I know you've been to like Am- Amsterdam. Any any favorite places you've been to in all your travels? Like um, top, top three. Istanbul, Istanbul really? was my number one. Um, really? Yeah, really, really loved that city. And, um, and did you have time to stay there? Because I only I flew through it once, but that was it.
1: Yeah, I was there for like four four days. Um, that's the only place I've been in Turkey, but just lots of beautiful architecture, uh, yeah. amazing food, really welcoming culture. Um, also in Istanbul, they um, they don't euthanize cats and dogs. So they if they're stray animals, they take them in, neuter them, give them vaccines, put them back on the street. Um, and pretty <laughs> much the entire city takes responsibility for taking care of them. So like puts little bowls of cat food out and yeah. like, we'd be walking around these like, like mosques and really old buildings and there'd just be a bunch of kittens hanging out and in uh, the mosque just cool. kittens
0: just like yeah. chilling just scrolling around some prayers mm-hmm. wow you know that's cool I should I wouldn't go back there I I hung out in I had like a work thing out in far eastern Turkey where it was like right near Iraq and it was kind of sketchy um so I yeah I should give I should give Turkey another shot and hang out in Istanbul that sounds like a good time
1: um, um. Tel Aviv is another one that oh, I went to. Um, yeah. So I was there for Circante's first anniversary. Um, that was our vacation that year. Uh, but that was also just gorgeous place to visit and amazing history and all kinds of cool things.
0: In any of these places, do you have like family you're visiting or anything like that where you can like, yo, what's up? Or is it all just.
1: It's, it's mostly, honestly, based around where Delta flies and where I can use my like, <laughs> sky miles. That's how yeah, both amen. Istanbul and um, Tel Aviv got put on my radar.
0: That makes total sense. You know, God bless those sky miles um, and uh, wherever they take you. Do you like to stay in the hotels when you get to places or like Airbnbs or what, what's like, so your scene when you get to a new place like that? My
1: mm-hmm. hubby is a Hilton loyalist, Hell
0: um, yeah.
1: and he and his dad have the same name, and so they share a rewards account, so oh, no. <laughs> like a lifetime, whatever... HH Honors member um oh, so gosh, we, we usually awesome. get like free upgrades if we use like their account so if there's Hilton's we try to use points and go that <laughs> route but if not we, we love Airbnbs also
0: that's cool yeah I'm a, I'm a big Hilton Honors fan too and um and that's funny though sharing an account with my dad I would get even more points through that that whole process that that's awesome so yeah sometimes they had a nice uh like was there like a nice Hilton in the Istanbul area? Did you do that, or was it like a nice little Airbnb? Um,
1: in in Istanbul, we we stayed in Airbnbs mostly. Okay. Nice. Um, the other th- the other thing that I'm super obsessed with lately is Hotel Tonight. Have you ever used that huh. app?
0: No, tell me about it.
1: Um, I'm I, I can talk about it for a really long time. I'm yeah. obsessed with that app. It's um, it's sort of like, do you remember when Priceline used to do those like, like, like really low prices on last minute hotels? Yeah. Type of thing? Um, I feel like what didn't work about that was, like, they didn't tell you what the hotels they were, and so yeah, it was just really sketchy shady. and mysterious, yeah. um, but Hotel Tonight, um, like, has, like, um, the interface is awesome, it has, like, a bunch of user reviews, you can look at photos of the place, uh, and you just get some really good deals on last minute um, hotels, so if you're a procrastinator like me, it's, like, the
0: app that's made for you. Would you, I mean, would you literally get to a brand new place like Tel Aviv and not book until that night? Yes.
1: Yeah, just, that's what I did in Australia. I booked my hotel while I was waiting in the line at customs.
0: No kidding. Yeah. Have you ever gotten, like, punished f- from doing that? Or has it always sort of worked out?
1: One time I was punished <laughs> uh, in Prague. Um, I was there for Czech Dreaming, and I okay. I had booked, um, I booked hotels, like, Sunday through Friday. Sure. In, like, the days of the conference, um, because I wanted to be in the city and I wanted to be close, and... I didn't book the last night because I was like, well, maybe I'll try to go to another city or maybe I'll travel somewhere else or whatever. And so I didn't book the last night. Um, Apparently Prague is an amazing destination for bachelor and bachelorette parties. And Fridays (laughs) and Saturdays, it's just like packed. So I didn't book until Saturday morning and there was literally like nothing left. Like (laughs) on on the app, on Google, on Hotels.com, every single place I called was booked. So I ended up having to stay, like, 45 minutes away and paid, like, $600 for, like, a random hotel room um, because I procrastinated a lot. Wow. Wow. That kind of, like, canceled out everything I've saved, so now I'm trying to, like, build it back
0: up. (laughs) Right, right. That, Oh, wow, interesting. Um, Because I know you you and I share, like, Colby scores and whatnot, and and I I love sort of random adventures, too. But there is kind of a – I do kind of enjoy the sort of the researching of, ooh, what's a really cool – um, B&B or Airbnb or cool experience I can plan out in advance but the idea of just winging it wow that's like that's really adventurous just be like okay let's see what happens and,
1: well, and then another thing I really like about the Hotel Tonight app is like um, the hotels that they have on there there are some like big chains but there's also a lot of like individual mm-hmm. boutique hotels that are like, locally owned and operated. Yeah. And so I feel like you wouldn't, you just don't stumble across those as easily on Google or other sites. Um, So, yeah, it helps you find some of those independent businesses.
0: Yeah. It's like a contrast, too, right? Because if you do, if you do a Hilton, you've got super polished, high standards, beautiful, amazing, and you can, like, it's safe, and you're like, okay, I know this. It's consistent. Yeah, it's very
1: consistent. Yeah
0: on the other side there's all sorts of risk and whatnot but i do like i mean my favorite would be if you could say somewhere where you have a local who is either in the in the house like it's a and b or advising you i mean we went to paris for french touch streaming our host was just what's me every day and that's awesome and i i asked him one question and i got like three paragraphs back I'm like what's good around here for food and he's like boom 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 you know and it was just like he would check in like hey can i come meet you guys and we're like oh we're already at the louvre like hey can i you know hey and so it was just i like that local connection because it really connects you to a place so that you're not super touristy all the time yeah so australia is it i know Australia's is a big country so would you go to sydney would you go there and kind of work your way up the coast or what would you do
1: yeah, so the, the two cities I went to were Sydney and Melbourne. Um, I really want to go to Tasmania. I um, uh, want to go to the Great Barrier Reef. Um, yeah. Um, also, want to want to go to Adelaide and do, like, wine tours. And there's a lot to do in Australia. I was yeah. really, really excited for the vacation portion of that trip, but it didn't end up happening.
0: Dang it. So that is overdue for you. You are going to be booking that right away. So if anyone needs her... The week after COVID opens is not the time before that or after that, because she's gonna be in Australia crushing it. Um Andrew, this has been a blast. Where can people connect with you? Where where can they reach out throughout URLs, social sites, platforms, everything?
1: Yeah, so spotforcard.com. Um yeah. that's my blog. Um
0: like super. I'm on Twitter, popular blog, I'm on LinkedIn.
1: LinkedIn. Um I also am starting another blog called Venturing Virtual, um that's gonna be about remote work and some of the, the things that we're learning, um, navigating that.
0: Um, Wait, what's that again? Venturing Virtual?
1: Venturing cool. Virtual, yeah. The site's actually live, but it's not polished yet, so don't look
0: at it. Oh, see, now I really want to go look at it. And everyone <laughs> else is really curious, too. But, okay, so, and that's all just, like, tips on getting that virtual sense going.
1: Yeah, tips on remote work and, um, yeah, like, I like I have a blog about, like, how to, how to get things done in, like, different time zones and how, it, like, if you're doing the traveling and working thing, like oh, this is awesome. That that's
0: thing. not unpolished. That's awesome. Should totally do this. Yeah, it needs a little it needs a little design TLC. Yeah, when for
1: my, sure. I my saw one. with this tomorrow. I actually. saw the other
0: day. Their background for their WordPress theme was like a a barbecue grill. It would open with all these like meats with barbecue sauce on it. You look at it, you're instantly hungry. And I was like, that's brilliant. But now I'm hungry and I hate you, right? So it was like, yeah. like pros and cons. <laughs> okay, so we got this side. We got those URLs. What else? com. Yeah,
1: sirconte.com is our corporate website. Um, I'm on Twitter at Andrew Terrell. um And then, yeah, LinkedIn. You, you can follow me on TikTok, but I'm not going to produce content, so it's going to be pretty boring.
0: Uh, I want to follow you on TikTok, and one day I will see. Yes, <laughs> one day, follow Andrew Carroll. one day on TikTok. You will see Casey and Andrea, the stand up challenge. We'll make this <laughs> thing happen one day for charity. Yep. <laughs> if we get enough donations for charity. Yeah, post quarantine, exactly. Um, hey, thank you so much for coming on here. This is a blast. You know, just to have a chance to like pause our busy days and just to have a one-on-one conversation like this, I think it's priceless, You know, e- even just to learn more about your story as well. So, And all the marketing tips, too.
1: Yeah, this was awesome. I had, I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.
0: For sure. And for the millions of people listening at this point, I need you all, if you learn something, and I know you learned something because I literally have two pages of notes over here. Go share this with someone, share it with like nine people, share it with 42 people, 1,008 people. Just get this thing out so they can learn from Andrea. Uh, focus on the outcomes, all the different things we're talking about. The closed loss campaign, what a brilliant idea, right? There's all these different things, the blanket statements, ABM. Man, oh man, I'm going to need to listen to this over again just so I can like remember all the things I was learning at the time. Um, and, and again, Andrea, thank you so much for being on here. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. You too. For everyone out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. All right. A big thank you to today's sponsors. Cheshire Impact, helping marketers and sales win, maximizing the use of Pardot and Salesforce. And a big thank you to Qualified.com, the number one live chat and chat bot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Remember the giveaway. If you have salesforce pardot and you want a free copy of my book marketing automation unleashed then you go over to qualified.com engage in a chat do a demo and tell them that casey sent you and that book will be on its way to your door all right we'll see you all in the next one